you turn and smile at your neighbor and say, hey, you look good in the house of the Lord. opportunity to be in the house of the Lord. Great privilege we have. I'm glad you're here. You know, you never know what kind of tests you're going to face on any given day. And I was all focused and spiritually oriented today. And my wife sent me a text with a picture. Do we need any? And it was the, sh- the display for Bluebell. <clears throat> now that'll mess your afternoon up. And you only could buy it in, in twos. I said, that's even better. So you almost had the gospel according to Bluebell tonight. Maybe another night we'll do that. But it is good to be in the house of the Lord. What a wonderful weekend we had. God's blessings were so rich in this place. We're grateful for that. This coming weekend, our Mother's Day weekend, we've got a great service. And also my wife will have a gift for all of our ladies. You don't want to miss that. And uh, then you get to take them out to eat. Amen. Or somebody out to eat. Amen. Somebody, take somebody out to eat if you can get in. If you have your Bibles for a few moments, I want to take you to the last chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16. And it's that obscure part that most people do not ever get around to reading because it, it's the end. He's, he's wrapping up his letter his, to the church at Corinth. And it's always the greetings and the salutations and all that. But I'll have to tell you that if you don't read Paul's conclusion, you miss a lot of good stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I'm going to begin reading with verse 13. We'll read down to the end of the chapter. He said, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quiet you like men, be strong. Let all your things, and the word things there would probably be more understood if we were to use the word works or activities. Let all your works... Let all that you do be done with charity or with love. I beseech you, brethren, you, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and they that have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth us and laboreth. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaeus, For that which was lacking on your part they have supplied, 
for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge you them that are such. In the churches of Asia, salute you. Or the churches of Asia, salute you. Aquila and Priscilla, salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet you one another with an holy kiss. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Maranatha, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. I love verse 22. There's a lot and we'll touch on some of it. But If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Maranatha. What a powerful statement. And I pray that God will help me uh, open that word to your hearts tonight. I want to talk to you for a few moments about the watchword of the church. The watchword of the church. And you may be seated. A watchword is simply a word or a phrase that expresses a person or a group's core belief or their core convictions. It is a guiding principle. It is an embodiment of what they believe. And it is important that we understand the watchword of the New Testament church to which Paul was writing. As I mentioned a while ago, Paul's closing words are so interesting. Closing words uh, in, in themselves are of interest because most of you know that this is your last opportunity and then there's last minute instructions. You know how moms used to do Right before you would get ready to leave, she may have been teaching you all day, but right before you get ready to leave, she just say, don't ever forget who you are. Remember whose child you are, something. They sum up in that brief uh, statement a lot of other things that may have taken more time to expound, but you got the message. And so much can be said in that moment of time. When you know your time is short, you pack into the words the most of meaning. And in in that moment of life, you try to eliminate the superfluous and get down to the real nitty-gritty. I believe that last words tend to be more practical and less theological. And uh, they are much more helpful in living life uh, than the great things that we may want to give our mind to think about because they highlight the essentials. This is the mindset. This is the framework in which you are to go forward. And I love reading Paul's closing remarks. I have made it my uh, 
passion to go back often. And, and I will go through Romans uh, and, and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and I will go to the end chapter and I'll just read that last chapter over and over because you will find in Paul's writing some of the most profound and powerful teachings uh, that you would ever want to embrace. And you'll find some incredible advice and great principles for living, for life, for facing life, for dealing with difficulties. He becomes so practical in that moment. Romans is one of those deep books that's hard to fully understand. But when you get to the end of Romans, he just sums it all up in everyday English so that when you walk away from it, you've got a a nugget of truth that you can hold on to. And so Paul did here in this closing chapter of the first book of Corinthians. Now, as you are probably aware, Corinth was not the easiest place to be writing a letter to. Uh, It had been a difficult letter to say the least because he was having to address some serious spiritual issues that were in the church. Uh, And I don't want to go into them, but they were deep and they were dark and they had muddied the waters and they had troubled Uh, the spirit of the Lord so much that Paul was writing to address these hard things. And he at times was was a warning prophet and at other times he was rebuking them. And he spoke uh, at times with a righteous indignation for the audacity uh, of what their sin had Uh, allowed them to do within the confines of the church. But now he's coming to the close. And lest he overburdened them with more than they could bear or give them too much, he closes with some concise and needful thoughts. And in essence, uh, he is saying to these New Testament believers, here is what... I want you to understand it takes to make it day by day living for God. And so he makes these five statements. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quiet you like men, be strong, let all your things be done with charity. And So so important are those principles. Be alert, be on guard, keep your guard up, realize Uh, what's going on. Keep your eyes open. Don't allow life to rock you to sleep. Stand fast in the faith when you're under attack. Stand fast in the faith, not yielding to your uh, adversary, not even an inch. Have some convictions about your life that will keep you and that will sustain you in the most troubling of times. I I don't want to get diverted here tonight, but I am convinced that a lot of the spiritual problems that we encounter in the day in which we live is because people have lost their convictions. You know, there used to be some things that we were pretty adamant about. But we've let life and the world mellow us to where we're not as adamant about them anymore. 
Paul said, let me tell you something. If you're going to make it, you better have some convictions that will help you stand and keep you standing when nothing else will help you. And I believe that it would do the church well to go back and recapture some of those convictions. And we all have them and we should all have them. Just some things that God has dealt with you about that you stand uh, fast in and you will not go back on. Holding firmly to what you believe. And this conviction that you hold will hold you in the time of trouble. And then he said, quiet you like men. He said, have courage. Don't, don't uh, uh, become uh, discouraged by what's against you. Just be a man or be a woman. Stand up and take it. Amen. Stand up and face it. And give it all you've got. And then be strong. Be resolute. Be determined. Grow in your strength. Uh, grow from day to day in the strength of the Lord. And then he sums it up by saying, let all your things be done with charity. And so important that we understand. Let this be the motivation behind all that you do. He goes on later uh, in his writings before he concludes to speak about greeting everyone with an holy kiss. Now, we don't do that around here, um, but it used to be a part of the New Testament church. Now, please hear me out. I'm not advocating us going back to that, but there is a principle um, that needs to be understood. It was a powerful way for the New Testament church to show their solidarity with one another. And it actually was a, a, a gesture of, uh, of passion in, in the right sense. It was considered the kiss of peace. That you understood your relationship with that other person. That's your brother. That's your sister. And there was a cord of commonality. And you felt deep. Those feelings of brotherhood and family. And uh, just like you would greet your biological children with, with affection and tenderness. The New Testament church was very much into doing the same thing. That you're my brother. You're my sister. I'm going to treat you like my family. I'm going to love you and I'm going to show that Affection and it was beautiful and it was a high mark of the New Testament church. Some might wonder why did it fade from use? Well, there seems to be two obvious reasons. One of them because it was probably liable for abuse and uh, as Paul was dealing with a carnal church, Obviously, it could be used in the wrong manner and also that it would be easily misinterpreted. But I think the reason that it really faded was because the church was moving away from less of a family atmosphere to more of a congregational atmosphere. And when we lose the sense of family, 
We don't mind hurting each other's feelings. We don't mind saying those harsh and mean things. But when there's that atmosphere of family and you realize that that's your brother, that's your sister. I, I love this, the story of, um, in Genesis of, of Joseph's brothers after he had revealed himself to them and now he was sending them back home to tell their father that he was not dead as as Jacob had been told and as he had lived thinking that his son was dead but Joseph was very much alive and God had sent him ahead into Egypt to help preserve the family and he makes this statement he said don't fall out in the way another time he wrote of the conflict that was going on within the family and he said hey Stop just a moment. We be brethren. That needs to be at the forefront of our mind continually. That we are a family. And I want that to always be the atmosphere that prevails at Greater Life Church. And I believe we do an adequate job of expressing our appreciation And we do a lot of hugging around here and that's good enough for me. I don't need anybody coming up tonight and planting a kiss on me unless it's my wife. And I would not oppose that if she were to decide to do that. But I don't need it from anybody else. But I wouldn't mind having a good hug. Amen. Because I want you to know and I want to be known as someone who cares about my family and you are my family amen the fact is many times we are closer to this family than we are our own biological family and there's i'm not i'm not trying to take away from the biological family but i will tell you tonight There is nothing like the family of God. And I want there to always be an atmosphere around Greater Life Church where every soul that enters this building feels the love of God and they feel the love of God's people and they feel like they belong here and they're wanted here and they're needed here. I want that closeness. I will tell you as a pastor, There's nothing that irritates me and nothing that bothers me or troubles me or keeps me up at night any worse than to feel like there is a division in the body. Amen. There's a division in the family. We shouldn't have that. Amen. And if we do have it, then we need to get to an altar and stay there long enough we can pray that stuff out of us so that when we get back on our feet and we look across the aisle at somebody, we realize that's my brother, that's my sister. I'm going to do everything in my power to encourage them. I'm going to do everything in my power to help them. I'm going to be a voice that lifts them up when life knocks them down. I want people to know that they are really loved. And cared for. And if that bothers you, just turn around and let it bother you from the backside because we're going to keep doing it. Amen. Would you clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise? When you read his 
statements, these five things that Paul mentions here, to me it appears that the first four are spoken for the believer concerning those things that threaten them from without. This is how we should stand against the foes and the adversities uh, that we face in our life of faith. But regarding the church, regarding the church, here is the attitude and here is the atmosphere in which the church should live and thrive. And here is the way that we should respond to one another because we are brothers and we are sisters, that we should do all that we do with charity, with love, because you are my family. Amen. In our Christian life, we must have the courage that we'll never retreat from the adversities that we face. But within the church family, we must always have a love that never fails no matter what. Amen. And then Paul goes on to write against or write about those who uh, do not love Christ. The, those who find it difficult to love him. He said anathema to you. And, and then the word maranatha or maranatha as it appears in the original. It's actually two words that Paul uses to describe something that I believe is so powerfully important to the church. He writes, and it's interesting that he had been writing in Greek up until this moment, but in this one word, he moved from the Greek to the Aramaic, which was something he was familiar with, and it was more colloquial, it was more of the homespun uh, language and it was in that Aramaic that he writes this word Maratha and it's strange to me that he would take that moment to change from Greek because he's writing to a Greek church but he uses a word that had come into understanding by all of them. The most apparent reason I believe that this phrase uh, is used is because for the New Testament church, it had become a watchword. It had become a concise uh, understanding of who they were and what they were and what they represented. As I reminded you in the beginning, that watchword is a phrase that expresses core beliefs. It is what expresses those things that you hold to dearly. And they're summed up in this phrase, this Aramaic phrase, Maratha. And it's summed up not only in that phrase, but it speaks the hope of the early church and the child of God. For it meant nothing to this world perhaps, but it meant everything to them. It is interpreted the Lord comes. The Lord comes. 
A strange phrase that has perplexed the interpreter from early times and has puzzled them to determine its connection and significance. Many suggestions have been made, but perhaps the simplest is the best way to approach it. And so we stop and we look at that writing again. And to me, it seems that as Paul is writing this concluding uh, sentence, he, he, he comes to the word anathema and he stops writing and he picks his pen up. And he's thinking of those who do not love God and do not honor him. And he, he cannot understand that. And after he pauses for a moment, he puts his pen back down and he writes that word, Maranatha. And it was here that he congealed into a simple phrase, the great truth that the New Testament church lived under. Amen. Amen, amen, powerful, momentous truth. And in that moment, it was like somebody had stepped to the wall of a city and had put the trumpet to their lips and made a long, loud blast reminding the city that the watchman was on the wall. So what does it mean? It simply means the Lord comes or Lord come. They believe that the word Uh, the Lord had given them was going to come to pass quickly. It was a prayer that was constantly offered up by the New Testament church, rising from an expectant and loving heart that the Lord comes. Our Lord comes. When you read the New Testament, you understand that they lived in the light of this knowledge That the Lord was coming again. And so when they said Maranatha, they were saying we believe and we are convicted of a second coming of the Lord. And we live in that expectancy. We live in that hope that soon and suddenly he will come back. And he will right the wrongs of the world. And he will rewrite the history of mankind in that moment. And it was that reminder that the Lord's coming. It was an encouragement to them. Every day they lived, they woke up and they spoke it to one another. The Lord's coming. 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 What a great way to live. How wonderfully changing, transforming it would be to you and I If we started living like that, how it would change the way we live every day. If the first thought that came to our mind when our eyes opened in the morning was Maranatha, the Lord comes, the Lord comes, the Lord's coming. He's going to come back in clouds of glory. There's going to be a trumpet that's going to sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be called up together to be with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The Lord comes. If we are more conscious of that thought, it might prevent many wrong turns in our life. Amen. If we were more conscious of that thought, would I want the Lord to see me in my present condition if I knew He was coming 
right now? Would I have that attitude? Would I display that spirit if I lived in the knowledge the Lord's coming? Now, the early church did live in that. But as I mentioned earlier, just like the love of the holy kiss faded because church moved from a family to a congregation, people lose that sense of reality that the Lord really is coming. I've heard it all my life. I grew up under a pew. I listened to a preacher preach about the coming of the Lord. Scared me half to death. I was the first one in the altar because I was terrified that if the Lord comes tonight, I'm not going to be ready to meet him. And now we've lived all these years and we've gotten comfortable living and some of us have forgotten the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. That ought not terrify me. That ought to encourage me and thrill me that the Lord is coming. Amen. The knowledge that he is coming would help me live a more holy life. I think I would not struggle near with some of the carnality that I struggle with if I just had consciousness continually. Maranatha, the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. Those little reminders have a way of sharpening your focus and bringing you back to the things that really matter. How would Him suddenly coming into this place tonight affect what we are doing and how we are living. Amen. We need to live like he's coming. Several years ago, a lady called me in the church, said she was talking about events that were happening. She said, oh, Brother Hughes, those are end times. Those are signs of the end time. I said, yes, they are. She says, well, we need to get ready. And I said, no, ma'am. And there's this long silence on the phone. She said, what do you mean, no, we don't need to get ready? I said, no, we don't need to get ready. We need to be ready. Stop getting ready and let's live ready. Amen. Have we not figured that out yet? Amen. We need to live ready. That if the Lord were to come right now, we would be ready to, for that sound. We would not hesitate in the least. And when you live in the knowledge that he's coming, He's coming. He's coming. It will change the way you live. Amen. It will. You may not say that cutting remark if you knew that could be your last remark before the Lord split the clouds of glory. Amen. You wouldn't push that sin button. I don't need to go there. We need to cultivate the habit of reminding ourselves that the Lord's coming. It's healthy for us. We would be more diligent in our service and we would be more holy and purposeful in our living if we lived with that knowledge. The Lord's coming. Amen. The Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. Amen. That's an important thing. And I believe that's what they meant when they used that phrase Maranatha. But I want to tell you there's another aspect to that phrase that has intrigued me. And it's the literal translation. It says, Lord, come. Lord, come. Now you've changed it to some event that's happening in the future to an expectation 
that even if he doesn't come in clouds of glory, you're still anticipating him to come right now to your present situation, to your present trouble, to whatever thing you're going through. The Lord is an ever-present help in my time of need. Perhaps more important than just the second coming was this note of expectancy and hope in which the New Testament church lived a daily life that no matter what they were facing, no matter what they were going through, no matter how difficult life had gotten, no matter how many trials they had to face, they lived with the knowledge, the Lord comes, Lord come, Lord come, come into this problem. Come into this trouble. Come into this trial. And they live with that expectancy that God was going to come into their present problems and their present troubles. Oh God, help us tonight. If we could live more forward looking like they did, that would be good. But I want to tell you what would even be better than that. That we're just looking to the coming of the Lord that we're expecting him now, right now in our present situation. Amen. They believed he had come and he had defeated sin and they rejoiced that he would come again the second time with great power and deliver all of mankind. But they lived daily in the joyous knowledge that God is going to come today into my world. God is going to come today into my heartbreak. God is going to come today into my trouble. He's going to walk with me in my trouble. He's going to talk with me in my trouble. He's going to be with me in the midst of all that I am facing. Maranatha. Amen. You need to say that over every problem that's in your life right now. Maranatha, the Lord comes. Amen. The Lord comes. The Lord comes. They labored and they endured. They triumphed in the patience of this mighty hope. I want to tell you that we can deal with our problems and our fears in many ways, but the answer is not burrowing deeper into our adversities and troubles, but by looking out of them and knowing the Lord comes. The Lord comes. I'm anticipating a visitation from the Lord today in my life, in the midst of my trouble. We have resources that we know not of. It was their watchword. It was what kept them buoyant in the midst of tribulation and trouble. It was what kept them going on in the midst of all kind of hatred and adversity. It was an expression of hope that gave buoyancy to every believing heart. It sustains them even when the deepest waters tried to flow over their life. It set the tone and the mood for the church. It was that spirit of expectancy. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. 
the Lord is coming. If you really lived in that knowledge, how would you face the next five minutes? How would you face the next adversity? The Lord's coming. And it's not just something that He is coming. He is going to arrive. He will. But it was that assurance that no matter where I am, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what's happening in my life, I have this expectation that God is not going to leave me in my trouble. Praise God. Amen. It's the hope of His coming into my present situation that changes everything. Everything. He will show up. He comes into every crisis. He comes into every trouble. When under the pressure of the most severe adversity, when He comes, He gives strength. Amen. When He invades and touches the human life, All is changed. This knowledge is what keeps me from settling for less and believing the lies of the devil. You'll never get out of this. You'll never overcome this. This is just too much for you. Oh no, the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. The Lord's going to come and help me walk through this. The Lord's going to come and help me get out of this. The Lord's going to help me overcome this. You know what's amazing that Jesus gave the the, the New Testament church? He gave them a message to preach and this was what he gave them. He said, go out and preach that the, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. He's within reach of everybody. And that's what the New Testament church seemed to understand. Yes, he's coming in clouds of glory. And I'm looking for that and I'm living for that and I want to govern my life by that knowledge. But even more importantly, I believe that if the Lord delays his coming another hundred years, I believe that today he's coming into my world. He's coming into my problem. And that's what I'm going to speak over every trouble. That's what I'm going to speak over every heartbreak. That's what I'm going to speak over every disappointment. That's what I'm going to speak over every trouble. The Lord come. The Lord come. The Lord come. It's that attitude that ought to prevail in my heart every day. On the worst day of my life, I need to stand up and declare Maranatha because he is the one that can change the worst day into the best day when he comes. Stand with me. I believe you and I need a recovery of the knowledge of an imminent Christ. That word imminent means at hand. Now, we think of that phrase in reference to the second coming, the imminent return of Christ, that the Lord is certainly going to return. But I believe we need to even be more aware there is an imminent Christ that wants to live in my everyday world. He wants to walk into my everyday situation. He wants to come into that office in the morning when you come in and are facing a trouble you don't know what to do with. He wants to come into that family room when the troubles have mounted too high for you to know what to do. He wants to come into that car when you're perplexed and you don't know what to say. He wants to come in to your life on a daily basis and show you how powerful and strong he is and what a mighty God you serve. Come on, clap your hand to the Lord.
Praise God. We need a recovery of the knowledge of an imminent Christ on the horizon, at hand, just around the corner, about to happen. Amen. And the New Testament church lived in that atmosphere. Do you know that's got to be the most exciting church around? Something good's going to happen today. How do you know? Because the Lord's coming. Miracles going to happen today. How do you know? Because the Lord's coming. Supernatural things are going to happen today. How do you know? Because the Lord's coming. Amen. God's going to help me. He's going to give me knowledge. He's going to give me understanding. He's going to give me wisdom. He's going to help me know what to do next. Why? Because the Lord's coming. This is what I need you to do tonight. Let your answer to life's adversities be with an equal boldness that declares Maranatha, the Lord comes. Let it proclaim, be proclaimed over every trouble and shout it in the face of every adversity. Amen. The early church lived in that atmosphere. It would do us good if we could learn how to get back into that atmosphere. Amen. I'm expecting a move of God today. I'm expecting a word from the Lord today. I'm expecting the Lord to show up. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know where, but I believe the Lord is coming. Amen. Praise God. It's the watchword of the church. Maranatha. Amen. Say it over your troubles right now. Come on, say it over your troubles right now. Amen. Say it over whatever it is that's got you all tore up inside and you don't know what to do. Say it. Maranatha. Amen. Praise God. In the face of hatred and all kinds of adversity, say it. Maranatha. And live in the faith and the confidence of that expectation. And you know what? God's going to show up. And he's going to show out. Amen. Amen. This is what I've learned. You're going to get what you expect in life. And if you don't expect it, don't be surprised if you don't get it. Amen. But I want to rekindle that spirit. Thank you, Paul, for that little word that you threw in there. That, that change of dialect, that change of... Of, of, of language just to get my attention and wake me up and say, hey, speak it over your life right now. Speak it over whatever you're facing. Heart disease, back trouble, neck trouble. Maranatha, the Lord's coming. The Lord's going to touch me. The Lord's going to help me. The Lord's going to strengthen me. Amen. Clap your hands again and let's praise Him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen. I want you to say it to at least three or four people before you leave here tonight. Maranatha. Amen. Amen. Maranatha. God bless you. Church family, remember the memorial service Saturday evening at five o'clock. Let's come to honor the... Sister Rosemont and her family, you're dismissed in the name of the Lord.